all have dreams of that next big adventure where we can somehow distribute all of our responsibilities and get away from it all. The problem is reality. That takes time and money. Maybe we have a wife, a husband, kids. But what if we flipped it around? What if, rather than trying to plan around that next big adventure, we inserted adventure into our plans? These are the constraints that you, we have on our lives. Let's stop moaning about those and work out what adventure can fit around the rest of it. Hey there, Meister fans. On August 4th through 7th, I'll be in Salt Lake City at the Outdoor Retailer Trade Show. This is the intersection of the finest gear makers in the world, also the people who sell that gear to you, and finally, those who report on the gear like yours truly. I'll be doing an episode of Mountain Meister from that trade show, and you're going to win lots of free stuff. My advice would be listen to this episode early if you'd like a chance to win. Also, if you'd like to hear anything about the new gear that's on the market, let me know and I can do some investigative work on your behalf. Ben at mtnmeister.com. Thanks. Hi there. Welcome to Mountain Meister. This is the podcast that explores the minds of those who explore. I'm Ben Shank, the host on the other end. We have Alistair Humphreys. Hello, Alistair. Hello. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's great to have you. Uh, if you out there don't know who he is, Alistair is an adventurer, blogger, author, motivational speaker. He's ridden his bike 46,000 miles around the entire world, rode the Atlantic Ocean, and walked across India. But it's the smaller adventures which have perhaps had the biggest impact. He's created a concept called Micro Adventures, which encourages you to get outside, get outside of your comfort zone, and get to somewhere you've never been before. Welcome to the show, Alistair. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. It's good to be here. So before we get to Micro Adventures, let's learn more about you. Uh, it sounds like you have an accent somewhere in the UK, right? I have an English accent, Yes. Yeah, so I'm uh, calling you from my shed near London. Um, yeah, I'm a proper Englishman. I'm a big fan of the US, but I don't get over there as much as I'd like to. Okay, yeah. So you said shed there. Is that just an English term for, for a house, or do you, do you live in a shed? <laughs> <laughs> I, w I work in a shed. I believe that that, that, that same word means the same thing okay, in, yeah. in both our languages. But <laughs> yes, I, w I work in a shed. Uh -huh. <laughs> and did you have dreams of growing up to be an adventurer like you are today? I did not, no. I really had a very normal... Um, childhood of dreaming unrealistically about being a professional sportsman mm -hmm. and I only got interested in adventure really when I went to university and after university I started doing big adventures and it was only after a few years of that that I even contemplated becoming a professional adventurer. Oh interesting what was the first big adventure? The first big adventure was, um, I, I started at the top, it's been downhill ever since. The first, <laughs> first big one I did was spending the four years cycling around the world, um, which 
um, was the biggest journey I've ever done and undoubtedly is the biggest that I will ever do. Um, it was an amazing experience to set off on a trip when before it was my job, uh, when I was just young, free, didn't have much cash, didn't have m- many commitments in my life and just the freedom to just go and cycle and just see how far I could get. Why did you do that? 46,000 miles and four four years, you said? Yeah, just over four years. I did it because I wanted to see the world and I was greedy, so I couldn't really just settle for seeing one little bit of the world because once you've cycled there, you might as well carry on till you get to the next place. <laughs> and I did it because I was really curious of pushing myself really hard. I wanted to do something big and difficult. And a bike is just the perfect way to travel because it's so simple mm. Uh, you can fix it anywhere in the world. It's fast, so you can cover big distances, but it's slow, so you can uh, meet people along the way and chat to them and really get deep into the experience. And importantly, for a, a young guy just out of university, it's cheap. Uh, mm. If you sleep in a tent and eat banana sandwiches, then life is very cheap. Yeah. Yeah, I think I heard in your TED Talk you said 7,000 pounds is what it cost you over those four years. Yeah, which is vaguely about $10,000. Right. Uh, so that's just a lot of instant noodles and uh, banana sandwiches. Right, right. Um, <laughs> that, and also, I, I think you said that in order to be able to do this, all you need to know, like the tangible skills that you need to have is to be able to ride a bike and to be able to sleep in a tent, and that's it. Yes, you, yes, to be able to sleep in a tent. You don't need to be able to put up a tent because uh, the, the day I set off, I just bought the instructions for, <laughs> with me for how to put up the tent. So, um, yeah, you really don't need very much to do it. The only difficult thing is just persuading yourself to get out the door and, and go. Right, yeah. You also rode across the Atlantic Ocean? Yeah, that was later on, uh, once, once this sort of stuff had become my job. And I do a lot of blogging. And through my blog, um, someone in Slovenia knew about me and he, uh, a guy called Marin, he needed someone to come join him for his row. Uh, someone had had to drop out of their team, so they, they recruited me. And so I essentially joined up with three total strangers, jumped onto a rowing boat and set off across the Atlantic. <laughs> that was a great idea, right? Just go, go into the middle of nowhere with three people you don't know. <laughs> Yes, well, it's a risk for me, but also for them. So I think both mm, all yeah. parties there are taking quite a risk. Um, but we all got on great. We had a lot of fun. Um, and we had huge amounts of misery as well. Um, but the fact that we were straight, we started as strangers, but ended up as friends. So what do you learn for, about yourself on these big expeditions? Let's take the, the bike trip, for example. What did you learn about yourself? Gosh, I learned... A lot of things about myself, some of them positive, some of them less so. Um, I learned that I'm not as tough as I thought I was. I found the experience and continue to find adventures very difficult um, mentally more than physically. Uh, But I also learned that I was able to endure um, more than I thought I could. Dostoevsky saying that man can get used to anything if he's he's got the will to do it. and just getting used to that life on the road. And I suppose I also, the, the thing of doing journeys by myself, so that, say, the cycling trip, was that it, it forces you to be in charge of yourself. Uh, you can't make excuses. You can't blame people. And you either succeed or you fail by yourself. And I found that 
exhausting and um, difficult, but also ultimately very rewarding. And that, that's very different to a journey like rowing across the Atlantic, say, with, with other people, which involves different skills of being able to um, offer and accept help and empathy and sharing and caring. So they're quite different experiences doing things by yourself or, or with other people. Right, yeah. We can't convince our listeners to to bike around the entire world or row across the Atlantic. Uh, and recently, uh, over the past few years, we've had this initiative called a micro-adventure, which is great. The name's a, a little contradictory, at least it sounds like it at first, because normally we think of these adventures as these audacious big things that we've been talking about. So micro-adventure, tell us about it. You you've hit the nail on the head, Bags. It was I chose the word deliberately because it's slightly uh-huh. contradictory, and I chose the word micro rather than small because I wanted to show that you can have really, really, really small adventures, and yet they still count as being adventurous. You don't need to spend four years cycling around the world to have an adventure, and if you don't have the time or the inclination to go and cycle around the world, then I believe it's better to go cycle for a weekend than to just do nothing at all so that that was the premise of it doing something so small that you can remove the barriers and the legitimate reasons and also the slightly wimpish excuses that a lot of us build up to to stop that get in the way of the adventures that we dream of having okay so let's say i'm going on a micro adventure what what do i need to do what are like the the characteristics of a, a good micro adventure for me Going somewhere new, going somewhere wild, going somewhere different, um, simplifying life for a little while, and then doing things that appeal to you. So it might be doing something that's physically very difficult and challenging, or it might involve not doing that. It might involve just turning off your phone, sitting, watching the sunset, and actually slowing down your hectic life for a little while. And then the one thing that I think all micro-adventures have is a night out under the stars. Um, Of course, it's great to go for a day bike ride in the forest. That's brilliant. But a micro-adventure, I believe, occurs once you've actually spent the night out as well. Spending a night out under the stars, ideally not with a tent. This is when you go home having had a much more transformative experience than just going out for a day's hiking or biking. You've encourage people to do this uh, i like how you put this from their five to nine so you have a typical work day of nine to five what's the five to nine when i began doing micro adventures i began by trying my first idea was to try and show that you can do epic big difficult stuff in small crowded not very wild britain that was the starting point of it but I came to realize that most people don't have a week to disappear off to the mountains of Scotland and that most people are constrained more than that. And the thing that constrains people generally is the nine to five life. So I thought about how I could fit adventure into that constraint of life. And what I decided really was that instead of us complaining about the nine to five and seeing that as a negative constraint, a more positive adventurous mindset would be to flip that round and try and see what positive things remain, what opportunities remain. So look at it the other way. And instead of looking at the nine to five, look at the five to nine. When you leave work at five o'clock, you have freedom ish. I know people have things to do, but hypothetically we're free until nine the next morning, 16 hours of freedom. What adventure can you go do in that time? 
Yeah, and it's amazing. So I live essentially in Boston. Like I'm in the city. And I, I think almost in every city in America, New York it might be a little difficult, but you can get out of the city and maybe in a half hour reach like pretty good hiking or camping. Yeah, well, in using uh, London as my right, personal yeah. example of that, I worked out that if you're right in the very, very centre of London, that's the, the biggest city in the UK, no one is, in a straight line, you're 15 miles from some sort of countryside. 15 miles in a city, of course, can take a long time. Right. Um, but roughly within an hour of your office, wherever you live, you can be out in the countryside. Um, and the difficult thing is to persuade people how easy it is to get from the middle of London, the middle of New York, out to a forest or a river or a hilltop. Mm. And I think that's the difficult thing, is persuading people to do it, to try it, and then to learn that actually it's not that difficult. Right. Well, Google Maps helps out with that now. Seriously. I mean, like you can find public transportation, ways to get out there, right? Yes, exactly. Um, Google Maps, looking around on uh, Google Maps, finding somewhere green and empty and, <laughs> I like that. and then working out the train, the nearest train to get to there. And instantly you've made a plan. <laughs> Very good. And then what about the people who say, oh my God, I can't like wake up at whatever time in the morning and go to work all like dirty. Well, then you should jump in a river. <laughs> <laughs> Jumping in a river is good for the soul. What My answer to this though is... Yes, if you go if you go camp out for the night and then go into the office the next day, you you will be more tired than if you'd slept in a nice hotel or in your own bed. Um, you might be a little bit dishevelled. Um, a lot of offices have showers in them these days, See, but you might be a bit dishevelled. However, no one is going to die from being a little bit dishevelled from one night and or a little bit tired. And I think mentally the. Uh, the mental energizing you feel from this uh, definitely outweigh that. I'm like envisioning myself doing this, which I, I will. I, I want to get some friends to go on it with me. I think that would be like my style. So when your friends say no way, how do you convince them to do this? I think, there, well, there are two categories of people here. There are the type of people who just think this is a stupid idea and um, really it's just not for them at all. And they, t they will take quite a bit of persuading. But there's also a lot of people who quite like the idea, but slightly worry about the, the practicalities, mm -hmm. the, the hassle factor. And those people, I have to try and persuade just by trying to encourage them to do it once. Okay. One, one summer's evening when the nights are long and the weather is good. And it's, and if you, if you can't go and, do it in those times then it's going to be more difficult to persuade people so it's it's trying to work out what it is that's stopping them what are they scared of what don't what is the hassle what's the complications and then finding a way to work around those those limitations right right yeah i like that and even if somebody didn't want to go to work dirty you could wake up with the sunrise get back to your apartment or your house probably get showered and get to work on time you know, yeah true um there's also the wildly controversial option of going one day without having a shower. <laughs> Whoa, that's which, out of the question. Which, which it, um, perhaps, perhaps I have hygiene issues, but it amazes me 
how much this idea freaks people out, given that great royal kings of England, like Henry VIII, had one one bath every single year. Mm-hmm. I think we can probably manage uh, one day with just a little cheeky squirt of deodorant under the arms as we sneak into work. That's a, a very good point. <laughs> do you do you have a favorite micro adventure that you've done? Oh gosh, um, I think why well, I, I like them the variety of them, but one I really enjoyed is a good example with what we've been talking to about, which was um, last summer, I have a various group of friends and we all live in different places spread over the south of England, spread over an area probably about three hours drive from each other, which means that ordinarily you would never see each other on a weekday evening. So we found a central hill in, in the middle of where we all lived and everyone just decided to meet there for sunset one evening after work. And so we traveled for an hour, an hour and a half each, uh, climbed up this hill. About 15 of us arrived on top of a hill for sunset, had some food, had a couple of drinks, slept under the stars, went back down the hill in the morning and everyone went off their own way back to their own lives and jobs. And I loved that to be able to socialize with friends from a different place on an evening just to make something like that happen. And it just showed how simple it was. That's cool. And the hill probably wasn't anything aggressive as far as like the physical output, right? No. Yeah. Well, this we're talking about England here, which right. is one of the, I think England, England used to really frustrate me as a place for, to live as an adventurer, but it's actually a perfect place to live as someone trying to evangelize about micro adventures because all our hills are so small and weedy and feeble that you know, if you can do these sort of things here and find them exciting, then every other country in the world is going to trump that. So you said that people find ways to make excuses. Uh, I made a list of excuses, and I want you to address each one, Alistair. Uh, the first one is, I don't have the time. Um, I think, firstly, I acknowledge that people are really busy. Um, however, I think it's worth saying rephrasing things in this way whenever you work out what it is that's stopping you instead of saying i don't have time just try saying i choose not to make the time for this and i think that just helps you work out in your head whether you genuinely don't have the time or whether actually you're just choosing not to spend your time on doing this and also i this is not something i'm saying that people should be doing every single day i'm saying this is something to make time for just once on one dry warm summer's evening to make time for that and if you still believe you don't have time to do that then i think you're someone who definitely needs to make the time to be able to do it if you're so busy that you can't spend one evening in the summer sleeping out on a hill with your friends then you really need to chill out and sort your life out right how about somebody who says you know i just don't have the the right kind of supplies for this um Assuming that we're just starting simple with a warm, dry summer's evening out on a hill, you can get by with just a sleeping bag, uh, some warm clothes, a woolly hat, a torch, some food and drink, and that's really all you need. Um, If you throw in a uh, a bivy bag and a camping mat, they might be two things that you don't own that you might have to buy, but they're, they're cheap as well. So I think that these things are achievable for most people. I think most people own a rucksack and a sleeping bag. Yeah. Um, and if they don't, then these are not massively expensive things to, 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 to get hold of. And now how about those with kids? 
children, if you say to children, would you like to go and sleep on a hill and then have a swim in a river? They will say yes. The problem is not the children. The problem is the adults. Uh, we get old and boring. And that is that is the problem, I think. So I don't think we need to worry about the kids. Um, sure, very small kids get more complicated with baby stuff and baby food and things. But if we're thinking, I don't know, four-year-olds mm -hmm. upwards, then really just go try this with your kids. They will love it. I like what you said there. The problem isn't the kid. It's the adult. <laughs> uh, good answers to those excuses. I'll have to utilize those. And some of those things are, they're unavoidable in life. I'm not, I'm not in a position to solve everyone's time and money issues in life. So I'm not trying to do that. What I'm trying to do is say, these are the constraints that you, we have on our lives. Let's stop moaning about those and work out what adventure can fit around the rest of it. Okay, so how about gear? What's one piece of gear that would improve the micro-adventure experience? I think the piece of gear that epitomizes the idea of a micro-adventure, as, as in something that is simple, cheap, uncomplicated, fun, and a little bit silly, all of those things are perfectly encapsulated by the idea of a bivy bag. And in case you don't know what a bivy bag is, it's an alternative to a tent. It's essentially a waterproof, it's a waterproof jacket material, but it looks like a sleeping bag. So it's like a waterproof sleeping bag cover. You put your sleeping bag in there and sleep out under the stars. And you feel so much more outdoors than when you're cooped up in a tent. A tent is basically a really rubbish version of your own house. It's like a small, cramped, uncomfortable version of home. It's a bit pointless. So if you want to be outside, then get in a bivy bag and you can actually see the stars, shooting stars, satellites. You can, when the sun rises in the morning, you just sit up and there it is right in front of you. It's brilliant. That's neat. Alistair, who would you like to hear next on the show? We've, we've had some people recommend you. Some listeners uh, have reached out and said they want to hear you on the show. Who do you want to hear? Well, about a week or two ago, I went for my first ever stand-up paddleboarding experience with a, a adventurer friend of mine called Dave Cornthwaite, and he uh, mocked my terrible paddleboarding thing. So, uh, but he's a very nice guy, uh, and he's done some great things, and he's got a really good ethos, which fits quite well with this about the idea of saying yes more. So I'd suggest you try for Dave Cornthwaite. Say yes more. I like that. Did you say that that was your first time paddleboarding? It is. Yes. I've never done it before. Um, and I enjoyed it. It was harder than I thought it was going to be. Um, but I definitely enjoyed it. It's, it's so cool to hear that that was the first time you did that. Uh, just <laughs> because when I, I host these incredible people on the show and i think i i know i do i just automatically assume that you know how to do everything and so to hear that you just had your first time stand up paddleboarding the other day and you were terrible at it is just so nice to hear <laughs> i think what's true i think there are two categories of adventurers there are the people like Roman Dial, who you've had before, who are athletes and highly competent and very impressive people, and we can, uh, we can enjoy them vicariously. And then there's a huge range of adventurers who are very normal people who started doing adventures perhaps because we, and I include myself in this, started doing adventures because we were a bit rubbish at real life and 
we wanted to try and test ourselves and prove ourselves. And I think you'd be really surprised at just how normal and uh, incompetent a lot of <laughs> full-time adventurers are. That's cool. Very well put. Um, for the listeners, you can check out more Alistair Humphreys, A-L-A-S-T-A-I-R Humphreys. Dot com. Also, usually use the hashtag microadventure or go look at the hashtag on microadventure on Twitter and see all of the great things that people are doing out there in this movement. It's also on Instagram, Facebook. Um, Alistair, you're giving us a book, aren't you? Yeah, I'm going to give a copy of my book, Microadventures, um, and I, I think that would be something I hope people will enjoy. Uh, anyone who goes off and sleeps on a hill and sends back a good picture deserves it, I think. I think that's a great idea. So so the first person to go on a micro-adventure and to send us a picture of it, you can use the hashtag micro-adventure and make sure that you tag Mountain Meister in whatever platform we are at Mountain Meister spelled out on Instagram and Twitter, or you can tag us on Facebook. First person that does it will win Alistair's Micro Adventures book. For more on Alistair and Micro Adventures, go to his website, A L A S T A I R Humphreys, AlistairHumphreys.com, or go to our website where we'll have highlights of today's episode, MTNMeister.com, on Alistair's Meister profile page. Before we let you go, any final thoughts, Alistair? Um, cycling around the world sounds like a really difficult thing to do but what I learned from it is that really the hard part of it was beginning it it was having the nerve being brave enough being organized enough to get on my bike wave goodbye to my normal life and pedal off down the street that was the only hard thing after that everything was easy and that above all else is why I'm a big fan of micro adventures because getting started in whatever it is you're trying to do is the the hardest part of any journey I think Alistair Humphreys, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. That was the micro-adventure man, Alistair Humphreys. Thanks, Alistair, for joining. Had a lot of fun chatting. For you, the Meister fan, don't forget, I'm going to Outdoor Retailer in Salt Lake City. That's August 4th through 7th checking out the latest and greatest from the outdoor industry. If you are interested in any gear, let me know, and I'll go check it out for you. Ben at mtnmeister.com. Also, don't forget to listen to the Outdoor Retailer Trade Show episode of Mountain Meister, because there's going to be lots and lots of free stuff to win. And finally, if you enjoy Mountain Meister and you want to help us out, visit our support page to find out all of the ways that you can. Some are free and some are not so free. But you know it is free, this podcast. So try to wrap your head around that. As usual, I hope you enjoy doing the rest of whatever else you do while you listen. I'm the host of Mountain Meister, Ben Shank. Thank you for listening. <laughs> <laughs>